Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services or connect with us on Facebook. Good morning again. Open your Bibles to Psalm 72. Thank you to Wendy and Renee for joining us in the, the Center of Hope. Uh, what they are doing, and uh, we're we're blessed to uh, be able to partner with them, giving uh, two thousand dollars to that work and what is happening. And so, thank you for your faithfulness. We've been in a series called uh, "A Thrill of Hope." It is Christmas. Uh, we are just days away. So, if you didn't realize that this weekend was the last weekend before Christmas, you missed it. How many crazy people went shopping this weekend? I'm sorry, you're not crazy. You're adventurous. Adventurous people went shopping this weekend. Uh, as we're preparing the house, the meals, the gifts, the, the visits, I pray that our hearts as well would just prepare to make room for the King of Kings. And I want to talk about that today, this King who has come. We've been in the series called The Thrill of Hope, and if we were to sum Christmas up into one word, it's this, it's hope. And uh, hope has come. Life without hope is just existence. If we live without hope, it's just existence. Jesus didn't come that we might exist. He came that we might have life and to have life more abundantly. How many are thankful for the hope and life that we have in Jesus Christ? I want to look today at, at what is that to recognize and to respond to that hope. In Psalm 72, uh, we have a, a psalm which is really a song, and it's written by Solomon who walked in the same practice of his father. How many know that uh, it's important how fathers live out their lives because children follow the practices of the father. Solomon is singing a song that he would have heard David pray. David prayed these words, Solomon sang these words, and now we today are going to read these words, and it's just uh, recognizing how we respond to the hope that has come. Psalm 72, would you stand with me? Just one more time, I promise the next time you stand, you'll walk out this door. That's after I'm done preaching though, all right. Uh, 72, uh, verse 6. Here's what the scripture says in verse 6. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. How many know it's a good king if the king's rule causes his people to be refreshed? How many know that's not common? To have the rule of the king, this is how good of a king he is. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on the freshly cut grass like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more. How many are saying, yes, Jesus, I'll take that for my life? The rest of you, I don't know if you read this, what I just read. But uh, prosperity and blessing and provision. Verse 8, may he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow down before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him, and all nations will serve him. Did you hear that? All kings will bow before him, and all nations will serve him. This is Solomon speaking, not of Solomon's kingdom, because how many know even Solomon in his best efforts still fell short? But there was a king who came greater than David, greater than Solomon. The king of kings, his name is Jesus, and every king will bow 
at the presence of Jesus. Father, we thank you that hope has come. And Lord, I pray that we would respond to that hope today, that it would fill our hearts and bless us in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. You already said Merry Christmas, so why don't you try this one? Mele Kaliki Maka or Feliz Navidad or something. Just mix it up a little bit. You've, you've, uh, and just for the fun of it, ask my wife to say that to you. She loves Mele Kaliki Maka. I don't even know if I said it right. but A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. You know what comes next? Fall on your knees. I want to share from that title this morning, just simply that, fall on your knees. When you recognize something, it requires a response. And I want to talk about the recognition and response of hope in our lives this morning and there must be a response. A couple years ago, it was Christmas, and I think it was Jordan opening a present. I may not have it exactly right from memory, but what I know is this, and I believe as Jordan was opening a present, Jalen made the observation, and Jalen said, Oh, Jordan, it must be a good one. Mom got her camera out or her phone. So they understood that mom's pulling out the phone to capture the moment which means mom's probably expecting a reaction. And if mom's expecting a reaction, it must be a special gift. So we've got to catch the moment. They were absolutely right. We were expecting a reaction in the moment because we had gotten a gift that we thought for sure would cause a reaction. And we wanted to capture the moment. And I know someone in the room is like, well, I don't give for anything in return, not even a reaction. That's baloney. I mean, even Jesus gave for something. He didn't give his life for nothing. He gave his life so that you and I would believe in him. There's nothing wrong with desiring and expecting a reaction. How many know that what he did for us demands a reaction? So for all of you getting gifts from your parents, you better thank them. Or whoever they come from. You know, because you don't know who might give the gifts that come in the house that day and how you sort all that out. But let me go back to my text. All right. Here is the thrill of hope that God is bringing to us, that when we recognize the hope that we have, and here it is, just in that moment to capture, a recognition of hope requires a response that without a doubt it becomes something that we are expecting to see just in the moment of trying to capture that moment. What is our response when hope comes alive? Because if we don't react I would admit to you, it's pretty disappointing if you can't wait for someone to open the gift and they open the gift and all of a sudden they're like, okay, next. I mean, uh, wait a minute. Let's, let's take this moment. And I wonder today, what is the reaction when we come alive to hope? The recognition demands a response. In fact, if, you, if you're taking notes today, write this down. Recognition of hope requires a response. The recognition of hope requires a response. If you recognize and don't respond, it either means it doesn't matter or you're dead. If you recognize and don't respond, you know when you see something and you don't respond to it, it probably means it's not that important to you or you didn't have the ability to respond. In our heart, when we respond to the hope of Christmas, it gives an indication of our heart that how our heart responds. And if we don't respond... It says either our heart is too hard, too hard to sense or too dead to respond. It's either too hard to sense what God is doing 
or it's too dead to respond what God is doing. And there demands a response. Here's what verse 11 says. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. There is this response that will happen. You can't help but bow in the presence of the Lord. If you don't respond to being in God's presence, it becomes something that without a doubt, when you're in the presence of God, I don't know about for you, but there are times where there are times just to bow in his presence, but sometimes it's where my eyes begin to get watery. This is for me. I don't know what yours is, but for me, when I just sense God is, is stirring and speaking, there's a response. How many can acknowledge that when you're in the presence of God, there are commands and demands a reaction. You can't help but just walk in like normal. How many know what I'm telling is the truth this morning, that when you come into an encounter, when you sense and know the presence of God, it demands a response. You cannot help but respond. The song that says, I can only imagine, when I stand in your presence, what it'll be like. Will I stand? Will I dance? Will I fall to my knees? I don't know what I'll do in the moment, but I know I won't stand there and go like, oh, how about that? What's up? I'm probably not going to see Jesus like, what's up, Jesus? Probably not going to just come into the moment and just say, oh, yeah, hey, there you are. It has an impact on our lives. This hope that comes alive, it impacts to bow down as an expression of honor. It's an expression of worship. It's, it's recognizing that there's something great and significant and unlike the norm. David prayed these words. Solomon sang these words. You and I just read these words, and the wise men activated these words. Isn't it interesting and something to, to recognize that David prayed it, Solomon wrote it, and he wrote centuries even before, but it speaks to the moment that kings would come from distant lands and bring gifts in hand. These wise men activated these words that they became this, this work, this process, that as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a star that rose. And as that star rose, these wise men began a journey that took probably close to two years. I don't know, but Jesus was probably about two years old. Now, I realize your nativity has three wise men at the manger. Now, that was just so they could charge you extra for an extra figurines because he really wasn't there at the manger when the wise men got there. By the time the wise men got there, it's almost two years later. It's in a house in Bethlehem, but still, nonetheless, these wise men begin a journey. Why? Because the word said every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that all the earth will recognize and know his glory, that everyone will bow in the presence of the Lord. And it began the moment he was born. It wasn't at an appointed time. It was, it was not just at a moment in time. It was from the very beginning. Who he was, the moment he entered the earth, it demanded the attention and response of all the world. And here are the wise men that are making this journey. Matthew chapter 2 says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Notice there are two points here. They said we saw his star and we came to worship him. We saw the star and we were compelled to come and worship. We saw his glory and we had to worship. We saw who he was and we had to show up. We saw who he was and we brought something with us. We saw who he was and we traveled a far distance. We saw his star and we have come to worship. I wonder what compels our worship this morning. Notice the reason they came was all because they saw a star. 
They saw this star. But the interesting thing to me as well is this, that while the wise men saw the star, Herod shows up, or they show up at Herod's place, and Herod's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Isn't it interesting how what seems so obvious to some people is so, what you talking about, Willis, to somebody else? That was a reference for only, only us older people. This whole young section doesn't even get it. That's okay. Herod is in the palace because the wise men know that there's a king. They knew to expect this. Balaam, all the way back in Numbers, which had been centuries before, said, I see him, not now, but in the future. There's a star that's rising out of Jacob. Guess what? That star was speaking of that star. They knew to look for the star. And all of a sudden, on that night that Jesus was born, there comes this star that gives the indication. They see the star. They began their journey. And they come to find the newborn king. And when they do, they go to the obvious place, the palace. But Herod doesn't have any words of, 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 of information for them because to Herod, he's like, what are you talking about? We've seen his star. What do you mean his star? Do you realize there's some people who are observant? Are there any observant people in the room? You know the observant people are the ones who like nothing can get by them. Like they see things. If you want to see if anything's in the house, you can ask me. Jody and I are this tandem. We've got this team thing down. If something's been misplaced and it's sitting somewhere that can be found, you ask me because I can spot it like that. But if it's hidden and you need to find it, then you call Jody because she is determined. She'll turn the whole house upside down till she finds it. I mean, she will. she's able to turn the thing up. A couple days ago or weeks ago, whatever, I was in the it walked through the garage and, and Jordan had moved one of my speakers from the place it was to another place in the, in the garage. And I said to her, I said, oh, Jordan, that was smart to use that. She looked at me and said, Dad, how'd you even notice I did that? I said, I got eyes. I'm watching you. I know everything. I tried to convince her that I can see there, there's observant people. Are there any observant people? Like you can see what's happening. You know what's going on. And then there are other people. How many are you when you drive like your neck? is rubber, and you like side to side, and you're driving, and you see, oh, look what they did over there. Look what they did over there. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Who are the other people in the room? Okay, I've joined a small group of people. That's me. <laughs> Jody's like, I don't know why you look all over the place. Just drive. I'm like, because you'll miss it. Did you see what's over there? Did you see what's happening? There's this observance that sometimes I wonder how observant are we to God at work in our midst? Do we see what is rising among us? Or we just caught among the everyday, the ordinary, which usually is wrapped up in our own agenda. And we usually miss sensing what God is doing because we're focused on our own agenda and our own critique and our own path. And instead of worshiping, instead of developing a heart of worship, we develop a heart of cynicism. Instead of developing a heart that rises with praise, we develop a heart that tears down with criticism. I wonder what comes out more how great God is or how bad everybody does it. I wonder what comes out more, how wonderful our God is or how it ought to be done. I wonder if in the same place where God's glory is rising, we miss what God is doing because instead of seeing what God is doing, we see from our own perspective. And when the wise men saw the star rise, Herod saw a threat rise. When the wise men saw a star was rising, Herod saw, I see a threat to my plan, my agenda, my way, my stuff, my thing. I see my stuff under attack. I see me not getting in this, this desire and this, this, what is it that we're observing? What are we seeing when they saw the star that looked like nothing else? They, the Bible says, we saw his star rising. We've come to worship him. 
We saw his star, so we've come to worship. It reminds me of Genesis 28. Here is Jacob. And Jacob, of course, is the son of Isaac, the brother to Esau. And Jacob is running for his life. It's Genesis 28. You can read it and go back. I'm telling you the truth. Here is Jacob running for his life. And he's running for his life because he just stole his birthright from his brother. That's a whole other story in itself. If you thought your family was dysfunctional, you ought to see what God used in the Bible and the patriarchs. They had messed up lives. I mean, Jacob learned how to deceive because his mama taught him how to do it. I mean, the man wasn't the deceiver just on his own. I mean, his mother called him in and said, hey, why don't you put on this stuff on your body and make yourself look like your brother? And why don't you go in? Because your brother's about to get a blessing, but I think it belongs to you. How many know we have... If you think God can't work in your family, look what he did in the Bible. There is nothing too difficult for God to do. That ought to make you feel better because you're trying to put the, the image of a perfect family together. Good luck. We all got issues. You don't have a perfect family. I'm sorry. Yes, you, you have a wonderful, perfect family. But what I mean is there's not one of us without blemish. Not one of us with everything all put together. Not one of us with it all just the right order. But this, this desire to see God work. And here it is, Jacob is running for his life and he comes to a place to camp out. He's not even prepared to camp because he uses a rock to sleep on. You know you're worn out and tired when a rock looks good. I'm going to lay down here and go to sleep. That's how tired you are. Like some of you right now in church. You, I'm just kidding. I have no idea if you're sleeping. I just believe you're praying. And the Lord is touching you in a special way. I'm in agreement with your prayer. <laughs> I, here's this, this moment. He lays down, and then while he's laying down, he's running for his life because Esau says, I'm going to kill you. And so he's running after him. Jacob is laying down. He's sleeping, and while he's sleeping, he has a dream. And the dream is that the heavens open, and a ladder is over top of him, and there are angels ascending and descending. And then he hears the voice of the Lord saying, I am the God of your father. I've given you this land. I've made you this promise. He says, I'm going to be with you. Jacob wakes up from the dream and thinks, that's a messed up rock. It made me think weird things. It made me. But he wakes up and realizes that it was God visiting him. And here's what verse 6 16 says, he woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. I wonder today, are you aware of what God is doing? Is there an awareness? Habakkuk chapter 2 says that as the waters cover the, cover the earth, so will the earth be filled with the awareness of God's glory. That there'll be a heightened awareness. I believe there's an awareness of God moving and God working. I believe he's doing things here, but he's not just doing things here. It's all across our world that there are churches coming together. There's unity like never before. There's prayer and desire. There is a desire to see God move, and it's not just here it's all around and I believe God is raising up and rising in our midst to do something significant do you see it can you perceive that God is moving are we aware of what he's doing in our midst because the enemy wants to do whatever he can to get us distracted because if he can call hope to be deferred it makes the heart grow weak hope deferred there's no hope this will never change you know why, why it never changes? Because we don't see what God is doing. Are you aware? They saw the star, what other people overlooked. I wonder today, I hope I'd be like the wise men and say, man, there's something going on. As opposed to just another day in Bethlehem. Just another night under Roman rule. Just another night of 
having to pay taxes and had to go out of my way and travel somewhere. Just another day of a King Herod and, and uh, Agrippa and all this taking place, this whole issue that's happening that we just have to go into another area, pay more taxes, be inconvenienced, do all this. But in the midst of all that, I see a star rising. Would you be willing to see that God is moving in the midst of your chaos? As God, God is moving in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of the difficulty. When they saw this star rising, they began and they came to worship. I wonder today, maybe there's some things we need to wake up to. Notice, as soon as Jacob wakes up, he worships. Worship is the response of what we do when we know that, we, that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Worship is not what I do to get myself ready. Worship becomes the natural response of who he is. And if I'm Paul and Silas in prison after being beaten, I'm not worshiping because I got beaten, and I'm not worshiping to make the pain go away from the beating. I'm worshiping because no matter what my circumstance, I know that my God is greater and that my God is worthy of praise. That it's not because of where I am. I'm worshiping because of who He is. That, that there becomes this draw When we become aware of God's presence, His promise becomes more prominent in our life. When we become worshipers, the presence of God becomes more real and rooted in our life. If you want to know God's Word, you've got to read God's Word, and you've got to spend time in God's presence. Worship illuminates the Word of God. Do you know what causes the Word of God to leap off the pages? The presence of God, the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by God. I can't read this with just natural eyes. Yes, I read it with natural eyes, but I read it with the work of the Holy Spirit giving me the ability to see what I cannot see in the natural to now see in the Spirit. I notice some of us, that's like, whoa, that's weird. You can always see everything through whatever lens you put on. You're already seeing seeing life through the pains you've walked through. You're already seeing life through the through the background of your past and what you've gone, you're already seeing life filtered. There's not one person here today that has perfect vision. You see life according to where you've been. You see life according to what's been done to you. You see life according to what's happened to you. You see life according to how you've experienced life. You see life through a lens that was given to you. You do not have perfect vision. I need to, I need to let that sink in again. I need to say that again. Some of us have become so critical that we think our vision is perfect and everybody else's is messed up. Your vision is just as bad as other people's. None of us have perfect vision because the pain you went through, the disappointment I went through, the stuff that happened, the things we've seen, the thing we all see life through a lens. And the only way to get clear vision is to see life through the word, the washing of the word. Only through the washing of the word. And at some point, if we don't let this word wash, we'll never know the hope that was meant to be in our lives. Because we'll always just see life according to unfair, not not desired, not good, disappointment, failure, frustration. But when we see life through the word of God, we recognize and see even though I walk through the valley. We recognize and see all things work together for the good of those who love me. 
We see that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We see the word of God. The only way our vision becomes clear is when we allow this word to wash over us. And it's the worship that allows us to have clarity and to see who God is, that we can see the promise. Let me, let, let me give you this this morning. I want you to see not only why they came, because they saw a star. Do you see what God's up to? That's why they came, because they saw God at work. And here's how they came. The how they came was to honor God and to bring gifts. Notice that they didn't come out of need, but they came out of honor. I want you to write this down this morning. If you're taking, if you're taking notes today, worship is not the response of what we need, but of who God is. Worship is not the response of what we need, but of who God is. Let me ask you, when the wise men came to worship and they came carrying gold and they traveled from distant lands, by the way, they represented kingdoms. They would have been, they would have been either relatives or representatives of royal families or some believe royalty themselves. But at the very least, they were representatives of royal families from other nations and they're coming to worship. And they're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. I don't know what to do with frankincense and myrrh. You might rub it on an oil and put it on your elbows, make you feel better. But I know what to do with the gold. (laughs) Try me. I I just know there's value. Notice these wise men did not come to worship because they needed something. Think about this. They did not come to worship because... Oh, there's a king, there's a helper. Let's go and get worship on so that we can get something from the new king. He's a baby, you're a king. They didn't come because they needed something from him. They came because they could not deny the glory that filled the sky the moment he showed up. I wonder, when is our worship reaching a place that we're compelled more, not by the need that we have. We don't worship because we need something from God, but we worship because we can't help but see his glory. We can't help but acknowledge the greatness and the sovereignty and the wonder and the splendor of our God. It takes on a whole nother point of worship. When worship, and, and I would challenge you, can, can, I, can I do this in love today? The American church is more driven in their worship by what they need from God than they are from the recognition of how awesome and powerful he is. It is more about what I need than it is about who he is. And the wise men set the course right away. That they came to worship him not because of what they could get from him, because they already had earthly stuff. But they came to worship because they recognized his glory is not of this earth. His glory is from a kingdom. He's got a throne and a power and a realm that's bigger than me. He has something greater than I've ever seen. And when we catch that, our worship goes to a whole other level. I fall on my knees. You know what? I want to be so observant. If there are moments, I remember watching my mom. There are times mom, and I, looking back now, I knew mom was going through something. As a kid, you don't know that. But mom was going through a place in life and difficulty. She had done foster care, and we grew up around that all my life, and there were just some difficult things happening. And I remember mom sitting at a red light in Hanover, Pennsylvania, in our long green station wagon. And I remember mom singing to a song that came on the radio. And while she's sitting at a red light, she just began to lift her hands. And a tear began to roll down her face. And I remember thinking to myself, we're not in church. (laughs) But you know what my mom taught me? I'm aware of his presence. I'm in the car 
but I know his presence. I'm about my day. When was the last time you just stopped and became overwhelmed? Hey, young person, you can walk down the hall in your school and sense the presence of God. There are times you walked, people walk by you, and you know the hand of God is at work and just sense, God, you're up to something. God, you're doing something. I don't want to see through the lens of the life that I had, the life that I've gone through, the pain that I've, I want to see through the lens of your word. And your word says that you are a king, that the kings will bow before you, that you're greater than anything in this earth, that I want to see you in your glory and in your splendor the hope that comes alive that we're not motivated and driven by the need but we're driven because of of who he is listen what the bible says in john john chapter one which by the way january 6 we'll start at 21 days of prayer and fasting there's 21 chapters in john so get ready because as a church we're going to read every day one chapter out of john And during our week of prayer, our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to say, God, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you like I've never known you before. So eat up and enjoy your Christmas because we're going on a 21-day. Just kidding. However God would lead you. But for the first 21 days, the full weeks of January, we're saying, God, we're moving into more. More of your glory. More of your power. More of your presence. John in chapter 1, listen what John says. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Aren't you thankful for Christmas? That Christ came. He arrived. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Worship is a response to God's glory. And I want to encourage you today that we worship Him because we have seen His glory. And here's the difference. If we worship because we see a need, the need will wear you out. Do you know one thing I've known about being compelled by needs? is the moment I arrive to one need, it only opens the door to reveal another. Have you ever found out that when you chase a need, it just shows you that there's a lot more behind that one? And now you try to meet this need, meet that need, and you run after needs. How many know you get worn out because you can only go so far meeting needs? But I wonder if we've missed it because here's the church today, and I don't just mean this church. I mean the church as a whole. We've said this already. Be careful. I think the danger of the church in the last days is that we become more benevolent than obedient. That the church becomes more benevolent than obedient. We do good deeds and we ought to do good deeds. The only problem is when we're motivated by doing good deeds and meeting needs, we get worn out. But when we're motivated by His glory, we get refreshed and refueled and filled up again. You know why some people, I'm tired of serving. I've got burnout. I'm tired of this. i got to take a break. i got to do it. You know why? Because we're meeting a need but forgetting. I don't serve to meet a need. I serve because I've been filled by the one whose glory is not of this earth earth I'm not serving to meet a need I'm serving to reveal the glory of who my God is and when my purpose is about his glory I get refreshed but when my purpose is about the need I get worn out I get tired because the need just opens door to another need to another need to another need and we get meeting needs and we think we're doing the Lord's work but you're not doing the Lord's work you're just getting busy trying to meet needs can I tell you the only thing that will meet the needs is when we see the glory of God and we connect to God's glory it becomes a natural flow my children are blessed my kids all three of them are blessed 
You know why they're blessed? Because they live under my blessing. My kids have not earned anything that they've got. Well, some of them have jobs now, so okay, they've earned that. My kids have what they have today because of me. My kids weren't like, Dad, we got a need. I got to start a GoFundMe page. Start a fundraiser. My kids come to me, and when we recognize, we come up with solutions. There are times that we teach how to have responsibility, what to do. But they know the needs are going to be met. You know why? Because they live under my house. What I'm telling you is that the reason they're blessed is because they're living under a mother and a father who is blessed. And blessing flows down. Blessing doesn't pour out. The church too much has been doing this when it needs to do this. When the glory, here, here, here's, I can meet the need and I should meet the need, but I'm going to get worn out trying to meet the need. But you know what will change everything? Is when I come under God's glory. And by the way, you're invited to come into it too. There's a God who has provision. There's a God of more than enough. There's a God that when He rules your life, notice what He says, that when the grass gets cut down, the rain comes and causes it to grow again. Why? Because He's saying in life, your grass is going to get mowed. Now this doesn't mean like, oh, the manicured nice stuff. No, when this happened in Scripture, it meant trampled down, eaten up, and gone through tough times. Your life is going to get cut down. But guess what? There's a God who can replenish and cause things to grow because He's the God who can restore and renew. He's not just the God that says, pour yourself out and I won't give you anything back. He's the God that says, when I pour into you, you can't help but pour out. And when I pour in, you pour out. It becomes this trickle-down effect that God blesses and His favor, His provision. I want you to know, get close to God's people and you'll find God's blessing. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a provision gospel that my God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That this is the provision. I want to challenge us today that sometimes we get so worn out trying to meet the needs Jesus even said himself, you'll always have the poor among you. Didn't he? They poured out perfume. The woman pours out perfume and some of them, Judas mainly, but Judas wasn't the only one. You could do a lot better things with that money. We still hear that today. Listen, money is not God's problem. Can I also say, Money is not Fayette County's problem. Money is not the problem in Fayette County. We're standing under the law, the wrong line of blessing. Money is not the problem in Fayette County. The problem is the same here as everywhere. Lordship. That's the problem. The problem is 
who is the king that we've allowed to be on the throne and what I want to say to us today is that we make room for Jesus God's not done working in your situation I don't know whatever you might be going through because your place of worship you can fall on your knees in a manger in a barn in a stable you can fall on your knees among cow poo oh come on you think when the shepherds showed up and they came to worship they're like smells wonderful in here what's the fragrance they probably didn't acknowledge it they're just this is life do you know it doesn't matter what kind of poo landed in your life Jesus can still show up and you can turn that into worship doesn't matter what that space is doesn't matter if it's a hospital bed doesn't matter if it's a jail cell doesn't matter if it's at the last dollar you got doesn't matter if it's at the end of a broken relationship that you thought would never end this way it doesn't matter where you find yourself and fall on your knees and allow the presence of God to invade and to change everything and to allow worship to fill your heart. When you begin to worship, not because of what you want from God, but you begin to worship because you know He's faithful. He's everlasting. He's good. He's worthy. I wonder today if we can be like the wise men and rise to our feet and stand before God even in this moment and say, God, I've come to worship. I've seen your star and I'm here to worship. I've seen your glory and I'm here to worship. I've seen you and I'm here to worship. I wonder if we're in this place today and say, I have seen you and I'm here to worship. I'm not here because I see my need. I'm here because I've seen your glory and I've come to worship. Come on, if that's you today, would you just do that right now? God, I see you and I've come to worship because you're worthy, because you're worthy. That's why I'm here today. We've come to worship.